Jesus once told a story comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed was kind of a metaphor for something that was very small in their culture. We talk about the size of a, a head of a pin. Uh, they would use the, the phrase a mustard seed to describe something that was very small. But it was also something that, when planted, grew to be very large. And so most who listened to Jesus would have seen plants that grew as tall as six, ten, or even more feet tall. Now, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed, what he was doing is communicating that God was up to something big and that his kingdom mission, despite uh, starting relatively small while Jesus was here on earth, would eventually grow to be quite large. And then Jesus added an intriguing detail to the end of the story. He said that in such a tree there would be such big branches that the birds could perch in the shade. And with this, what Jesus is anticipating is the work that he began that he would, uh, would continue after his death and his ascension into heaven, would be the Christian church which would provide both refuge and protection, both now and for eternity, for those who put their faith in him. Now, not long after Jesus, or before Jesus died, he also said something else that was intriguing, something his disciples remembered, and John, one of his disciples, wrote it down. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, at face value, what Jesus says here sounds totally absurd. To do greater things than Jesus has done, because remember, Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, he calmed storms, he told stories that we're still telling today. And Jesus' disciples, he says, including us, by the way, will do even greater things than him? How can that be? Well, what Jesus didn't mean is that we would do things that were greater in scale from what he had done. So, in other words, if Jesus fed 5,000, we're going to feed 50,000. Or if he stopped uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, we're going to be able to stop tsunamis in the Pacific Ocean. So, the greater didn't mean necessarily bigger, better, or more dramatic, but it did mean greater in scope. Because what Jesus had in mind was a worldwide movement in which the good news would be shared with everyone, and the good deeds that he had in mind for us would be done in the name of Jesus, and they would be done everywhere. Now, what Jesus said was not something that seemed inevitable at the time. In fact, no one outside of a few of Jesus' disciples, and even they had their moments, could anticipate the growth of the early Christian church. But what Jesus predicted actually happened. Estimates are that the number of Christians who were alive on the day Jesus ascended into heaven numbered around 100, and within a few weeks, there were more. Um, and the church began to grow. But even 60 or 70 years later, around the year 100, um, the number was perhaps 250,000, maybe 200,000. Estimates are in that range. Now, the number continued to grow until by the year 300, there are perhaps 6 million Christians. And then not long after, when Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, making it no longer illegal for Christians and others to gather, um, the church began to grow, grew dramatically. Over the next 50 years, perhaps as many as 30 million Christians were present in the ancient world. It became the dominant religious movement in the Roman Empire. That's a compound growth rate over that roughly 300 years of around 40% per decade. So when Jesus said, you will do even greater things than these, that's what he's talking about. A few weeks ago, we started to look at the story of the early Christian church in a New Testament book that's often called the Acts of the Apostles, or simply Acts. And the entire book covers a period of about 30 years, from around 30 or 31, depending on when you date the, the uh, 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 resurrection, um, or maybe 32 or 33, to around the, mid, the early 60s. And we're breaking the book into small chunks, so we're doing just chapters 1 to 8 this year. Next year, we'll do a different section. Over the next few years, we'll make our way through the entire book. 
But the part we're looking at, Acts chapters 1 to 8, covers a time period of about two years, just after Jesus left this earth. And it's an inspiring story, a story full of fascinating characters, of remarkable events, but it's not just a story that focuses on the past. It's a story that also points us to the future, which raises a number of interesting questions for us today, and the most important and the most significant is how can we as a church, city church, capture something of the confidence, enthusiasm, vision, and power that those early Christians and their leaders had? And that's the question that I want to take up today. Now, as Kara mentioned during the announcements, uh, later today, just after this service, we're going to have our annual meeting. And this meeting is especially for members, but as Kara said, anyone is welcome to attend just to learn more about the church. And we're going to look back over the previous year. More importantly, we're going to look forward to the coming year. We'll review our ministry accomplishments. We'll look at the objectives. We'll review the financial statements, which for many are very, uh, that's, that's the most important. And for many of you, they don't really care. Um, and we're going to look at the year to come. And we'll vote for leaders who serve on our board. Some of those activities are fairly routine and institutional. But the most important part of the meeting has to do with the discussion of where we're going in the future. And we decided that for this year, we'd have a conversation we normally have in that meeting in this service. And we'll talk today about our objectives, really our hopes and dreams for the coming year. And because in recent weeks we've been looking at this story of the early Christian church, what I want to do today is connect our vision for us as a church in the next year or so with the story of these earliest Christians and the church that they founded. A couple of years ago, we shared with you four values that form the framework of what we call forecast. This is, uh, what we, these are the four values that we believe God is calling us to pursue. And they are to invite into a relationship with Jesus, understanding that Jesus offers an invitation to all of us to receive, um, to become a part of the kingdom, to become a part of his family, as well as to extend that to others. To belong, to belong to a community of love, and then to invite others into that community as well. To become more like Jesus, trusting him with our lives and growing to be more like him. And to serve, serving others sacrificially in the name of Jesus. These are values that you'll see in a moment come really directly from the pages of the Bible. And in particular, you'll see them illustrated in the book of Acts. And I'm going to give you some examples, particularly from the first eight chapters, that just show you how these values are connected and reinforced by what we see in the Bible. And then at the end of what we'll do today, what I want to do is give you a challenge for some simple things that I believe all of us can do this year that will help us grow in these areas. And I think it'll have an impact in our lives. So what I want to do first is start with each one of these values, go through them one at a time, and connect them to what the early church's experience was and see how these, these things are reinforced. In terms of advice, Acts begins with a goodbye story, the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And at the beginning of this series that we, we began this fall, uh, we talked about when Jesus ascended into heaven, that his last words to them were important words, when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus' followers took those words seriously. A week and a half or so later, Peter and the other disciples were gathered together when the Holy Spirit, which had been promised to them, came. And it was a dramatic experience that included a vision that looked like tongues of fire resting on them and the ability for the disciples to speak in foreign languages to a multi-ethnic crowd who were able to hear the message in their mother tongue. Now, once Jesus had their attention, Peter got up, excuse me, Peter had their attention, he got up to speak. And here's what he said. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, 
Let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God and accredited by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. He was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the company or from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now what Peter does here simply is issue an invitation. Peter is the one who, just after Jesus was arrested, um, during the time of his trial, denied Jesus three times. He acted in a very cowardly way. He was, he was a betrayer of Jesus. And yet, suddenly, just a few weeks later, he's turned into one of the most courageous people in the world. And the question is why, and the answer is because he saw Jesus resurrected, and it transformed and changed his life. And from that point on, boldly and persuasively, he told everyone he could about Jesus. And that's what we want to do as well. Why? Well, because we believe, we really believe, that everyone who is far off from God would be better off if they had Jesus Christ at the center of their lives. We're convinced that if they had Christ, they would have meaning and purpose and guidance, strength to face difficulty, hope for tomorrow that they do not currently have. And that's why we as a church want to be intentional about letting people know about the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. And that means first that we want to encourage each one of you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, to consider the invitation that Jesus offers and to receive that invitation, to find peace, meaning, purpose, guidance, strength, and hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those who have received Jesus' invitation, we want you to extend that invitation to others, the right way and the right time, but to invite a friend to hear about Jesus. The second of our values is to belong. Now, a few weeks ago, Amy shared from the end of Acts chapter 2 a description that Luke wrote down about the earliest Christian church. And we saw, if we, if we, you'll know that the, the early Christian church wasn't perfect, but this description is absolutely astounding and very attractive. Here's how Luke describes it, beginning with verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We live in uh, what many have called a troubling time in history. In fact, uh, many are unsettled today. We have more material prosperity than any generation in history, any other time, and yet we're a society that by many measures is more miserable than we've been in quite some time. Measures of happiness and satisfaction and other things are down. Many have a hunger that cannot be filled by a bigger paycheck or a new car. 
And they're looking for answers that satisfy the soul, for a sense of belonging that connects them in deep relationship to others. And that's what these earliest Christians had, deep human connection. What we believe and what they experienced is that one of the deepest needs that we all have is for community. We're created for relationships. We want a place where we're welcomed and accepted, a place where we belong. And spiritually, the Bible tells us that we cannot live as Christians on our own, that in order for us to be what Jesus has encouraged us to be, challenges us to be, we end up becoming like those we hang out with. So if we want to grow and become more like Christ, we need to be with others who are trying to do the same thing. But community isn't just instrumental, a necessary end to, uh, means to an end. Community is what we deeply need, especially in life's most difficult moments. So if we want to be able to share the joys and the difficulties of life, we need to do that with others who give us grace and forgiveness and compassion. And then in turn, we can have the privilege of extending that kind of compassion to others. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, we can comfort our others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. <clears throat> from God. Our forecast vision is, that the hope, uh, is the hope that everyone who connects with City Church will experience this kind of Christian community. That you'll find a group of people with whom you can share the joys and difficulties and challenges of life. And having found that community, that you'll then extend that Christian love to others. To reach out and to care deeply and love others the way that God loves us, with grace and love for all. And that kind of community is incredibly attractive. One of the other things Jesus said not long before he uh, went to the cross, is he said to his disciples in John chapter 13, he said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So the idea is that this inclusive community is one built on love, and it's attractive, and others want to be a part of it. The third of our values is to become. Now, just a moment ago, I mentioned the boldness that Peter showed um, that no one would have anticipated. Uh, you, you would have written him off um, up to the time of Jesus' death on the cross. But once Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Peter became a new person. And it turned out that even his critics were impressed with his boldness and his, his uh, passion. Luke tells us in, uh, Luke, in Acts chapter four, uh, 4, verse 13, that when they, that is the authorities who were opposing Peter and John, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, what I told you is that unschooled did not mean that they were stupid. It's just that they hadn't gone to all the right schools. And ordinary didn't mean that they were dumb. It just meant that Peter and John didn't have the credentials that many looked for. But even though the, the authorities didn't want to admit it, the only explanation they could come up with was that these men had spent time with Jesus, and it rubbed off. So wouldn't it be great if others looked at us and concluded that there was no other explanation for the content of our character and the quality of our lives than that we are followers of Jesus Christ? And that they saw there's something different about us that can only be explained by our relationship with Jesus. In our forecast vision, we say that following Jesus wholeheartedly is to discover that he alone satisfies our deepest needs, that he transforms our most persistent failings, and he heals our deepest pain and transforms us into something that we would not otherwise be, to become more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus means learning to trust him. The better we know him, the more we find that we can trust him because we know that Jesus truly is the wisest, most loving person who's ever lived. 
who offers us grace and peace and hope and freedom and healing that we need to flourish and to become the people that God has created us to be. The only way to do that is to spend time with Jesus. Perhaps the best way to do that is to set aside some time each day with God. The habit of daily Bible reading and prayer is uh, an indispensable part of that relationship. God has made us for himself with a desire not only to know facts about God, but to know him in an intimate and personal way. But many of us only know of God by reputation, not direct experience. But we can know God personally, as one knows a dear friend. And when we seek him, he will communicate with us, speak to us. And when he does, we will be transformed. How will we know that transformation is taking place? Well, there's a simple test, and it's embodied in our purpose statement, to love God and love others. If we're growing in our love for God, and if we're growing in our love for others, we're on the right track. Now, we're not going to be there perfectly now or any other time, but if we're on an upward trajectory where our love for God is growing and our love for others is increasing, we're on the right track. But if you sense that your heart's growing cold toward God and reserved toward others and holding others at arm's length, that maybe something needs to change. The idea of serving is uh, embodied in, a, in the description I read earlier um, about the earliest Christian church. And I want to read just two verses of that section from the end of Acts, or, yeah, Acts chapter 2, verses 45, 44 and 45, when it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, what they're describing there is that these early Christians um, got so much a part of each other's lives that when they noticed something was going on, something, someone had a need, they thought about how it was that they could meet that need. But they also did more than that. They didn't just meet the needs of other fellow Christians. They also met the needs of those around them who believed and some who did not believe. What they did is they served the community at large. A few weeks ago, I read the story of how Peter healed a man who had been lame from birth. He'd been crippled since the time he was born. And after that healing, the authorities dragged Peter and John and some others before them to rebuke them, to tell them to stop. One of the things they did to try to silence them was ask them a question. And the question was, by what power or name did you do this? But before Peter answered their question, he pointed out that the reason he and his friends were being questioned is because of an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame. What Peter wanted to point out was that they were more concerned about this whole idea of authority. They were trying to keep them silent when what he was most concerned about was serving this man and his needs. Peter and the others in the early Christian church believed that God wanted them to show kindness, to meet the needs of all, and not just those who signed up as Christians, to meet the needs literally of all. And that is what the Christian church has always believed. It's part of the good news that we've been given to share, that Jesus saves and Jesus serves. And so must we. So throughout history, Christians have been at the forefront of serving the poor, the sick, the immigrant, the orphan, and widows. Instead of thinking only what we can get for ourselves, the Jesus way is to think about serving those who don't have enough. To do what we can to see that justice is done for the vulnerable. To seek racial justice for those who've been traditionally excluded and the opportunities available to many, but not all. In our forecast vision, we say that those who've experienced the love and grace of God have the desire to serve others, to be messengers of the good news of Jesus, agents of mercy, advocates for justice, generous people seeking the peace and reconciliation for all. And when Jesus told us to love our neighbors, which is really the second half of our purpose statement of loving others, 
It's a term that he defines so broadly, neighbor, he defines so broadly that it even includes our enemies. We're to be generous with our time, our gifts, our abilities, and especially with our money. Not out of guilt, not out of duty, but out of gratitude for what it is that God has done for us. This means that we will learn to live generously, to do what we can to meet the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of those around us, especially those who may be far from God. Now, there are many more examples in the book of Acts of these four ideas, invite, belong, become, and serve. But I have to confess that when I even think of one of them and I think about all of the implications, I get overwhelmed. There's so much that can be done in each of these areas that it almost feels like it's impossible to even begin. That's why uh, in setting the objectives for this year, we as a staff decided to try to make these more doable, to try to boil it down to maybe one thing in each area that we can all do together um, that might make a big difference in our lives without overwhelming us. And so we thought of a simple action that will help us put these four values into place. And what we've done is put them in the form of a challenge, and then we as a staff and leaders of the church are going to support you in each one of those. So you'll see how this works. So here are the four ideas, and I want to begin with invite. Invite means just, again, to extend the invitation that Jesus offers us to others. And the challenge here is to pray for an opportunity to share Jesus with a friend this year. So... What we would challenge you to do is to think of someone in your life who's far from God, a friend, a family member, someone you work with, someone you know who would be better off if Jesus were at the center of their lives, and begin to pray for them. And then what we will do, I'm going to be developing a simple class that will help you learn to tell God's story and your own story of your journey to faith in Jesus Christ in a way that might help you to naturally and effectively tell others about Jesus. The second of these values is belong. And what we want to do is to create a welcoming community. And the challenge we want to give to you this year is each week to meet one new person to you each Sunday. Now, let me just explain here that we want to be a welcoming community. One of the challenges for many of us here who've been here for a little while is that we have friends. Now, you may say that's not a challenge. That's, that's a wonderful thing. But it is a challenge in this way. And that is that when we walk in the doors, what we want to do is to hang out with our little, our, our peeps. We want to hang out with people that we know and we care about, and that's good. But what we also need to do is to remember that there are others who may be here for the first time or just for a few weeks that need to make some connections as well. And sometimes we can connect them to others that we know, people that we know perhaps have similar interests or life experiences and haven't made a connection yet. So our challenge is that everyone here, not just staff, not just the welcome team, not just our board, would meet one new person here each week. And we're going to support you in making that natural. We don't want it to be something that feels forced, but to make it a natural thing. And hopefully, this will help us break the habit, at least initially after a service, of breaking into our little holy huddles and becoming more of a welcoming and open community. <clears throat> in terms of become... We want to trust Jesus to transform us. And the challenge here is to spend 10 minutes a day or more with God. And this whole idea, the single best way for us to experience transformation is to spend time reading the Bible and praying on a regular basis. Some of you have developed that daily habit, and it's invaluable. If it's an experience that's, that's what you've been able to do, that's great. But for others of you, this has been a struggle, just trying to figure out a way to do it, to know what to do. And so in the coming weeks and months, what we're going to do is to provide you with resources that will help make this simpler, to demystify something 
that can seem intimidating. So you're going to find us give tools and resources along the way this year to help you do that, to build that habit, that spiritual discipline in your life. And then in terms of serving, living sacrificially, doing ordinary things with great love, what we want to challenge you to do is to find one way this year or more to serve our city. And so we're going to publish on a regular basis service opportunities. Now let me just say that this uh, could be um, things that uh, our ministry partners are doing that we want you to participate with us, or it may be other things as well, things that maybe fit better into your life. We're going to make you aware of these kinds of opportunities so you can serve in significant ways in the coming year. These are four things that we can all do. Invite, belong, become, and serve. And we want to make them tangible and concrete, even simple. Although I should be honest and remind you that it may not be easy. One of the messages that you may have picked up already in the series that we've been in on Acts is that doing God's will is often met with opposition. Peter and his friends experienced it, and so do we. But it didn't deter Peter and John and the others, and it ought not to deter us as well. One of the lessons of the New Testament is that persecution has always been a part of the Christian experience, and it will be a part of ours. And yet we do not need to fear, for as we read in the Scriptures, greater is the one who is in us than the one who's in the world. The early Christians were known for their compelling way of life. They were kind rather than contentious. They served rather than wanting to be served. They were faithful, not flaky. They were generous, not greedy. They were humble, not proud, and the world around them noticed. What if those around us, people who may come from backgrounds very different from ours, from groups that we aren't familiar with, knew that they'd feel welcome here? What if we were the first people that people came to to ask for help and love and encouragement? Almost 20 times in the book of Acts, Luke writes a short sentence that describes the impact that the early Christian church was having on the culture around them. And I want to read to you just three, three that take place in these first eight chapters that we've been looking at over the last few weeks from the book of Acts. First from Acts 2.41, where Luke writes, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Or in Acts 2.47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And from Acts 6, verse, or chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The Christian church has a glorious past, and it's fun to read these stories, these incredible stories of how God began this church from just a few hundred people and grew and grew and grew beyond that, a story that we know from church history as well as from the book of Acts. So we have a glorious past, and the book of Acts tells that story. But even more, the Christian story is focused on the future because the entire story of the book of Acts is, is that it doesn't end, that it continues on with us where we take up where they left off. And that's why I'm so excited about what's ahead for us as we get the opportunity to be the church in this community. Let's pray. Father, um, as we begin to live out these values and, uh, and think for the coming year about invite, belong, become, and serve, I pray, Father, that we would learn, take the step, the challenge of living these things out in at least one simple way in the coming year. I pray, Father, that you would, you would give us the tools that we need as we provide those as staff, um, 
And also, Father, that you would give us the will to live these things out, that you would honor that, and that we would see this church grow and its impact increase in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.